This is the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Hello and welcome to the 100th episode of the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Yes, this is episode 100, entitled, Mark's Suffering and Dying Son of Man. As always, the Biblical Unitarian Podcast is the podcast that aims to start conversations about the oneness and unity of God and about the humanity of Jesus. Thank you so much for joining us today at the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. My name is Dustin Smith. As always, I am your host. I'd like to wish our listeners a Merry Christmas to those who celebrate And thank you so much for supporting the podcast for nearly two years of a weekly installment as we discuss God's oneness and the humanity of Christ Jesus. We've been exploring, as of late, the favorite self-reference of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark, which is the Son of Man. Thus far, we have observed that the Son of Man is a human being, authorized by God to guiltlessly do good works on the Sabbath and to confer upon others the forgiveness of sins. Jesus was portrayed as possessing the authority to do these incredible feats, not as God in the flesh, but as a human being namely as a special agent of God. In this week's episode, we will examine the Christological confession from Peter that shifts the narrative in a crucially important direction. In doing so, we learn that the role of Israel's Messiah, the one destined to rule as king of the kingdom of God, is also a role involving one who is to be rejected and killed. And Jesus describes this role as the role of the Son of Man. What can we learn about the Christological significance of the Son of Man in regard to who Jesus is based on his rejection and death? Let's find out on this week's episode of the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Our first point today is looking at the Son of Man who further defines the Messianic vocation. I'm going to read out of our passage in Mark chapter 8, starting in verse 29. And he continued by questioning them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered and said to him, You are the Christ. And he warned them to tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed, and after three days rise again. And he was stating the matter plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning around and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan! For you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. And he summoned the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. 
But whoever wishes to lose his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what will a man give in exchange for his soul? That's Mark chapter 8, verses 29 through 37. Within the internal structure of Mark, this passage serves as the connecting point between the first half and the second half. It is important to take note of how Mark uses this passage to bridge the gap between the two halves of his gospel account. As we can see, Jesus asks regarding how he is being perceived by his disciples. Peter responds by confessing that Jesus is the Christ, that is, the anointed king. This, of course, is the correct answer. And we can be sure of that because Mark himself begins his gospel by letting his readers know that he too regards Jesus as the Christ. Mark chapter 1 and verse 1. So Peter's confession is one with which Mark agrees. However, from the perspective of Mark, Peter's confession is only half of the answer. The Christ is one who must undergo rejection, suffering, and a martyr's death. However, God will raise him up again. But Jesus does not describe himself as the Christ when he plainly speaks about this additional vocation. He instead uses the title Son of Man. Yes, the Son of Man who previously on two separate occasions, was regarded as the authorized human being. This Son of Man is now the figure that is to be rejected and killed. In regard to the Son of Man as a title, there really hasn't been anything in Mark that would lead us to believe that this authorized human being would suffer and die up to this point. If we look back to the Hebrew Bible, we can see insights that a generic son of man is one who is mortal, that is, one who is susceptible to death, but there is really no indication that it is a figure who suffers and actually dies. When we look at the one like a son of man in Daniel chapter 7, we again see no evidence of a rejected suffering, and figure who is killed. So we should not miss sight of the fact that Mark's suffering and dying son of man, acting out the vocation of Israel's anointed king, is something of a shocking revelation for both Peter and for Mark's unsuspecting readers. It is often too easy to look at Peter's reaction as he takes Jesus aside assuming the role of a teacher, and actually rebukes Jesus for claiming that the Son of Man will suffer and die. It's often too easy just to look at this and look at it in hindsight and to say, oh, silly Peter, that's what we would say in hindsight. But we need to appreciate the fact that up to this point in the narrative and 
in the history of the Son of Man as depicted in the Hebrew Bible. No one was expecting this particular person to suffer rejection and death. Mark's original readers would have been just as surprised as Peter was. For the sake of our current study, we need to take stock of the fact that the role of Israel's anointed king, the Christ, is carried out as an authorized human being who suffers the fate that all creatures inevitably suffer, namely the fate of death. Our second point today is looking at the Son of Man in alignment with the will of God. As the authorized Son of Man, bearing the authority given by the one true God, Jesus responds to Peter's rebuke by letting him know that Jesus is actually in tune with the will of God, while Peter is not in alignment with God. The quote is, He rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. End quote. This further demonstrates the argument of Mark in that the role of the anointed king, the Christ, is defined as an authorized human being who suffers and dies in accordance with the will of God. While this interesting development in the vocation of the Christ might appear to be an innovation, Jesus states that this is what God desires to take place. It is also important to note that the Son of Man previously in Mark is one possessing God's authority, both to offer forgiveness of sins and to act guiltlessly on the Sabbath. By framing the looming rejection, suffering, and death of the Son of Man as a fate in accordance with the will of God, Jesus further regards the Son of Man as bearing God's authority. The Son of Man, who, according to Daniel 7, is to receive dominion, glory, and kingship, is authorized by God to first suffer and die. One can say that in order for the Son of Man to fulfill his role, he must first suffer a rejected martyr's death. This is a pretty important factor in Mark's Christology. Jesus, as the Son of Man, is authorized by God to not only confer to others the forgiveness of sins and to do work on the Sabbath that helps those in need, but also to face rejection, suffering, and death. Of course, the vindication is promised on the other side of death, resulting in the resurrection of the Son of Man. But we need to think carefully about the death of the Son of Man. And it is to this point that we must now turn. Our third point today is looking at the Son of Man in solidarity with humanity's mortality. The death of the Son of Man is portrayed in plain words, without any qualification. Mark tells his readers that Jesus, quote, was stating the matter plainly, end quote. 
Mark chapter 8, verse 32. We are not told by Mark that Jesus only died in his humanity and that his supposed divinity is still alive. Nor are we told that Jesus died because he gave up being God. We are instead told the words plainly that the Son of Man, quote, will be killed, end quote. It should go without saying that suffering death is not something that God can do. God cannot die because he is immortal, meaning he is incapable of dying. The Son of Man, that is, the authorized human being, was killed, and he required the immortal God's help to raise him from the dead. This is naturally what you would expect from a title that basically conveys the human one. Human beings are mortal, and guess what? 10 out of 10 human beings die. What is interesting for our study is that Jesus, the Son of Man, invites anyone who desires to come after him to deny himself to the point of even losing his own life. Yes, those who wish to save their life, that is, their soul, must be willing to lose it. The salvation of one's own life comes to those who give it up. And this is the very thing that the Son of Man has revealed that he is authorized to do, namely, give up his life in order to find salvation and deliverance from death in resurrection just a few days later. In other words, the death that Jesus is going to face is the same death that he invites his followers to share in as the task of discipleship. This further indicates that the death of Jesus is just like the death of other human beings who all share the same mortality. In fact, the Son of Man's call to discipleship actually fits well into his vocation as described in Daniel chapter 7. The one like a Son of Man is revealed in Daniel chapter 7 and verse 27 to be a representative of the people that is, a human representative of other human beings. So for Mark to portray the Son of Man as one who gives his life in accordance with the gospel, resulting in the giving up of one's own soul, and then summons his followers to do the very same thing, this depicts the Son of Man as the representative human being in continuity with the depiction of the Son of Man in Daniel chapter 7. So, in conclusion, we have observed that the portrayal of Jesus as the Son of Man in Mark takes an interesting twist after Peter confesses that Jesus is the Christ, God's anointed King of the Kingdom. However, this is only half of the story, for Jesus must first be rejected, he must suffer, and be killed before he can be enthroned as Israel's Messiah. And Jesus must undergo this terrible fate precisely as the Son of Man. 
we first noted that the fate of the Son of Man, resulting in being killed and rising from the grave, was an unexpected development. Nothing in the Hebrew Bible, in Daniel chapter 7, or in Mark's portrayal of the Son of Man up to this point in the narrative, could have prepared us for the dark fate awaiting this authorized human being. But just as the saving gospel message contains the parts of Jesus as the King of the Kingdom of God and the one who was killed and raised, Mark's gospel account also depicts the role of the Christ as both an anointed king and a suffering human being. If the vocation of Israel's Messiah was to bring about the rule of God on earth as it is in heaven, it must be brought about in the suffering and death of a human being, according to the Gospel of Mark. Second, we saw that the revelation of the messianic role to be that of one who was rejected and killed is not some innovation out of left field, but rather according to the plans and purposes of God. The Son of Man, who formally is depicted in Mark as the human being bearing the authority of the one true God, will face death and suffering in alignment with God's will. The Son of Man, who is to receive dominion, glory, and kingship, is also to receive resurrection after suffering rejection and death. Jesus, as the Son of Man, is authorized to die as the proper outworking of the role belonging to Israel's Messiah. This is all accordance to the will, purposes, and authority of the true God. Lastly, we observe that the plainly and unqualified death of this authorized human being is the same loss of life that Jesus calls his disciples to seek. Furthermore, the resurrection from the dead that the Son of Man will receive will be given to the disciples of the Son of Man who will save their souls by losing them in accordance with the gospel message. As astute readers of Daniel 7 would expect from one like a son of man, Jesus acts as the human representative of faithful human beings, leading by example a life in accordance to the will of God that ultimately leads to the loss of his own life. And this connects the death of the authorized human being with the call of Christian discipleship, a call that summons those who desire to save their souls to lose it for the sake of the saving gospel message. As we can clearly see, the Son of Man in Mark continues to be a human being, distinct from and authorized by the only true God, who is God the Father. This human being dies the death all too familiar with other mortals. But he was raised from the dead shortly afterwards. This is further evidence of a high 
human Christology in the Gospel of Mark, not a divine or Trinitarian Christology. Join us next week as we continue to explore what Son of Man means in Mark and how this important title contributes to Mark's Christological depiction of Jesus Christ. If you'd like to support the podcast, please check out this episode's description for a PayPal link. I appreciate everybody so much, especially those who have supported the podcast thus far to get us to 100 episodes, and I'm looking forward to 100 more. Thank you so much for listening to us at the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. My name is Dustin Smith. Until next time, you folks take care.